We're going to read from John chapter 21 this morning. It's a, it's a long section, but it's an important section. It's, it's the passage where we find out what happens to Peter after he has denied knowing Jesus and after Jesus has been raised to new life. And this has an encounter where Jesus very tenderly begins to restore Peter back into the, the mission that he had given him. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in a boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for extending the call to so many through the years, to all of us, when you say, follow me. Help us as best we know how, to put one foot in the other and keep moving forward following Jesus in life. Representing Him and the faith that we know day in and day out to those who are watching, even though we're not aware of it, in the discussions that we have, in the questions that we answer, in the way that we live out our faith quietly through the things that we do, or the way that we care for others. Lord, we ask that You would guide us 
and that you would meet us in the quiet places. We all have doubts. We all have moments of, of backtracking, moments of failure or frustration when we falter. And I pray that you will allow us to rediscover over and over again how Jesus renews us, how Jesus restores us, how Jesus continues to put before us the, the call to, to live with him and to represent him before people in this world who badly need to find hope in life. Use this morning toward that end. Use this morning to restore us and renew us and refresh us. Lord, we pray for Nancy Merrifield as she goes through her her cancer treatments, and we pray that you will give her strength and resilience and the ability to keep getting back up day after day. We pray that for each of us, no matter what kind of burden we are carrying, no matter what kind of difficulties arise in our pathway, give us the ability to keep moving forward in faith. Even when we take steps backward, allow us quickly to move forward again. Allow us to know your grace and your healing and your forgiveness in such profound ways that we come to a point where we never doubt that we belong to you. So Lord, we ask as we open up this uh, passage of Scripture and we look at what you are teaching, that you would restore and refresh our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite memories from my younger years centers on a Labor Day camping weekend that involved about 60 or 70 families from the church that I grew up in. The organizers of this event that happened every year for about 15 years worked out a deal with a campground in New Hampshire where our church rented the entire campground. Now this campground wasn't anything fancy. It, it was a converted farm along the Pemigewasset River. And a few families would come up early, several days in advance, and they'd grab the best spots along the river. By Friday afternoon of Labor Day weekend, dozens and dozens of tents, pop-up trailers, and, and camping trailers would all be set up. Coleman stoves and ice chests would adorn picnic tables. Those who had already set up their camps were on hand to help those who arrived in the dark to set up their tents quickly. And all hands were on deck when the single moms with, with their small families would make this their first camping trip to help them figure out how you could set all that up when you weren't that familiar with the equipment. It was like we were all one big, joy-filled family. And then events would unfold throughout the weekend. There'd be a, a Saturday fishing and canoe trip. There'd be a huge softball game where everybody, regardless of age, would play. And Sunday morning church service around this large campfire and some of us found a 30-foot bridge to jump off into the river. Okay, I was the one who led that effort. What I remember most from those weekends was that the environment was so safe that even when I was a young teenager, my parents and other parents would let us stay up late and we would wander from campfire to campfire because there was nowhere that you could go where you would get in trouble and everybody around was part of this same massive church family. Old, young in between all sharing life stories around these campfires late into the night. And a few of those nights, my friends and I would, would sleep under the stars by the campfire. Well, I tell you that story today because our, our topic is breakfast and burning coals. And there's a scene around a campfire that becomes 
powerfully memorable to the disciples of Jesus. This is the second part of our Oh How I Love Jesus series, and this series involves powerful memories prompted by a campfire that Jesus set up on a beach on the Sea, on the sea of Galilee. The name for the series comes from a chorus of an old hymn that we sang here last Sunday. The chorus goes like this. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The subtitle that we gave to this series is What Makes Jesus So Attractive? We are asking, what, what is so attractive that people are drawn to Jesus from generation to generation? And what causes people to fall into deep devotion to Jesus, despite all the stumbles that are a part of life? Well, welcome back to North River Church today. I'm glad that you're here with us. I want you to know that no matter who you are, no matter where you find yourself today, you and your life matter to God. And because you matter to God, you matter to us here at North River. And there is a safe place for you here at North River. We are a wonderfully messy gathering of people who are drawn to Jesus because we have found that he is the one who has the wisdom to help us navigate life's most difficult passages. And he is the one who supplies the grace that allows us to go through recovery or to pick up the broken pieces after life's disappointments and he can build them into something more beautiful than we ever imagined. This is our mission as a church, helping people who are far from God become fully developed servants and worshipers of Christ. So you may find yourself in the category where something has happened and all of a sudden you never intended to get there but you feel that you're far away from God and I want you to know that you are, you are welcome here. You also may say, I've never had a moment where I've walked far from God, and that's wonderful, but look around you. All around us, there are other people all throughout our community who are trying to find their way back into God's grace, and this is our mission, to help them one step at a time. The question I have for this morning is, does Jesus still have a role for you when your life goes off the rails? When you falter, as a Christ follower, and you mess things up royally, is it all over because of the embarrassment that you feel? Or does Jesus still have a role for you when your life has begun to fall apart? This morning we're going to look at how Jesus restored Peter after one of the most public falterings of all time. Peter had denied even knowing Jesus three times during that awful evening when Jesus was going through the trial before the high priest and the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem. And we find that he did this through three memorable signs that he used that reminded Peter of different aspects of the way that Jesus had called him into ministry and called him to become a follower of Christ. Here's the first way he did it, simply enough, with fishing instructions. Through these fishing instructions, he, restalled Peter, uh, he restored Peter's sense of calling. Verse 4 says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So thinking, it's foggy, it's early, the sun's barely coming up. They couldn't see who was out there on the shore. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
I'm imagining they answered that question not with a joyous no, like everything's great, but no, with deep frustration behind that answer. They'd been out all night fishing. Some of them were professional fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they found nothing. How disappointing. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. John's report here in chapter 21 sets us up by letting us know that they didn't realize it was Jesus on the shore. It was early in the morning. The disciples had been out out all night. After that tumultuous Passover weekend where Jesus was arrested, tried, beaten, hung on a cross, and then raised from the dead, the bewildered disciples, who've already seen Jesus, had gone back to Galilee, and they're wondering what is the future for them. Jerusalem wasn't their home. And Jesus had told them he would meet them back in Galilee. John adds in a little note here about Peter who decides to go fishing. Being a fisherman before Jesus called him, he decided to go fishing. And we wonder why. Was was he trying to say, well, it looks like the, the ministry of following Jesus is over. Maybe I'm going to go back to what I've already done. Perhaps they had too much time on their hands and they just needed something to do. Perhaps Peter thought his failure in denying Jesus meant that his days of walking as a disciple were finished in failure. And then Jesus called and told them to throw their nets on the other side. Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John were longtime fishermen. They knew the waters of the Sea of Galilee. Some of the other disciples were there with them. But even still, they'd they'd had a frustrating evening catching nothing all night long And now comes this unknown voice from the shore telling them where to cast their nets. Now imagine, you're the professional fisherman and you don't know who this person is out on the shore. Can you imagine the thoughts that would run through their heads? I would imagine some of them saying, yeah, right, we've been there and we've done that. We've thrown it on this side of the the boat. We've thrown the net on the other side of the boat. But they throw the net over the right side and they begin to haul in this tremendous catch of fish. John reports it was so great that they were having a hard time hauling all of these fish in. That scene and that haul of fish triggers a memory for Peter. John instantly calls out, it's the Lord, and as soon as Peter hears those words, it's the Lord, he wraps his cloak around him and he jumps off the boat into the water. I have this scene from Forrest Gump. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? where Lieutenant Dan shows up and standing on the dock and he just jumps off the boat and just starts swimming madly. I imagine Peter is as impulsive as Forrest Gump in this moment. And he's not worried about who's going to haul in the rest of the fish or how the boat's going to get in. That's everybody else's job. He sees Jesus on the beach and his heart just leads him. It's a phenomenal scene. The memory for Peter from that scene would have been from the day when Jesus first called Peter to follow him. Jesus had been teaching a large crowd of people on the shore near where Peter and Andrew and James and John had their fishing boats and they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus, with the crowd pressing in closer and closer, steps into Peter's boat and asks him to let out just a little ways into the water so he can have some distance between himself and the crowd. And he begins to teach from Peter's boat. And then at the end of that, he tells Peter to put out into deeper water and he tells him to throw the nets over one more time and Peter catches a tremendous haul of fish that day. And so Jesus is deliberately repeating a scene from the past. 
in order to remind Peter of something. On that day, he had said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Tempted to leave it all and just go back to his early career, these fishing instructions that Jesus gives to Peter and the great haul of fish that come when he tells them to throw their nets over to the other side of the boat restore that sense of calling in Peter. He could fish all night long if he wanted to, but God had designed him and shaped him for something greater. For giving out the gospel that attracts men and women in every age for, for something that leads to life, that leads to far more than a boat full of fish. And gently, he begins to call Peter back. First, simply through fishing instructions. And then there's a second sign that he uses, or a symbol, bread and fish. Verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Many readers of the New Testament will remember Jesus' miracle of the loaves and fish. On that particular day, Jesus fed 5,000 people from a few small loaves and a few small fish. And it's interesting that all four gospel writers choose to write about this event. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is one of the few events that makes it into all of them. On that day, Jesus had been teaching a, loud, a large crowd on the mountainside on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Having in mind that he would feed them, knowing what he was going to do, Jesus asked the disciples where they could come up with enough bread to feed a crowd this large. And John chapter 6 tells us that Peter noted it would take a year's wages to feed a crowd like that. So he does a little back-of-the-envelope calculating and says, we, we don't have enough money to do that. Even if there was a supply nearby, a year's wages. Andrew, practical, scrounges up some food and he comes up with a boy's lunch, five small loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And Jesus says that's enough after blessing it, praying over it. He divides up the bread and the fish and he just keeps dividing and dividing and dividing. And the disciples then distribute it to this crowd of 5,000 people who each have enough to satisfy their hunger. And then when they come back, there are 12 baskets of fish and bread left over. So here are the disciples. Again, they'd fished all night. They'd caught nothing until Jesus calls to them and tells them where to throw the nets. And now they find Jesus was already cooking fish and bread for them on an open fire before any of them arrived. And so he tells them to bring some of the fish they've just caught. So just think about what Jesus was doing here. The disciples on that morning were aimless. They'd gone fishing. So he gave them some fishing instructions that reminded them of their calling to become fishers of people. And then they were frustrated by a night of fruitless fishing, so Jesus reminded them of the possibilities for those who live lives that are in alignment with the Savior's mission. God is always able to supply our needs, and He gives us what we truly need to accomplish the mission that He sets before us. Friends, I want to apply this to the times that we are living in right now. Every good leader and every good church is surrounded by challenges right now. Those are the words of Craig Grushel, and 
a challenge that he gave to a group of pastors like me, and he reminded us that we're living in the midst of a pandemic that has lasted now for 14 months. At times we think we're near the end of it, but we truly don't know. We hear frustrating messages, and we see frustrating signs that tell us this is not yet over. What will mark us as different is how we view the possibilities before us. So Craig Grushel from Life Church in Oklahoma City takes on that mindset. Life Church had experimented with adding a Saturday night service and they taped it years ago. And then one particular weekend between the Saturday night service and their Sunday morning services, Craig's wife gave birth. In other words, he wasn't going to be able to be there for Sunday morning church. What do you do? when he's prepared the message and nobody else is prepared and they find out early in the morning that he's gonna be staying at the hospital. They decided to run the tape they had shown the night before from that service. And And they ran it for all of their Sunday morning services and what they found was people accepted that very, very easily. And it worked and it was fine. And that began to open up the door for them when they outgrew their building. Instead of adding on in a very expensive way, They just rented a smaller facility and they streamed out the the tape from that morning service to another location. By accident, because of a birth that happened late at night on Saturday night, so late that they couldn't get another speaker for Sunday morning, they found a technology that expanded the church's reach. Now here's the amazing thing today. Life Church is the largest church in the country. They have services in 12 different states, 38 different locations, all because of that accidental reliance upon a little piece of technology. Born out of a decision to look at problems as possibilities, the decision changed the way the church looked at their opportunities. And that church has become the largest in the nation today. Our team at North River has tried to take that same approach in the midst of this pandemic. We chose to see the shutdown that happened last March, more than a year ago, as an opportunity, not just as an obstacle. The result is that our hybrid model of in-person and online attendance today is larger than we were before all of this happened. We have people who have recently become members of North River who have never set foot inside our Pembroke campus. Think about that. (laughs) Their experience has been completely online. I'm astounded by that. And we never would have chosen that pathway. And we have people who live in other states who are asking today if they can become members of North River. Why not? We're a church that dares to see that every problem brings possibilities. Rather than shrinking back, our staff, some ministry leaders, and our overseers have been praying about what ways we can bless our neighbors and our community in these last months of the pandemic. And we're trying to see what possibilities will the Lord open before us, rather than just holding on and trying to survive. Jesus wanted Peter to see that the possibilities were still limitless. And he used the bread and the fish and the memories of the day when he had turned a boy's lunch into a meal for 5,000. And by providing bread bread and fish on the beach that day, he began to open up Peter's eyes. And in that moment, he restored the vision of possibilities. And then there was a third physical symbol that Jesus used that morning. Burning coals. 
And so he restored Peter with these burning coals from the fire that were burning on the beach. Again, verse 9 says, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Now you have to remember a little bit, those of you who know the story of the gospel, remember the last time that we saw Peter by a fire. Here's the first moment we see Jesus and Peter alone having a conversation by the fire. The other disciples were rowing and pulling in the boat and perhaps had gotten busy at that moment. And for just this moment, Jesus and Peter are standing there by those burning coals on the fire, on the beach. Let that image soak in for a minute. The last time that the Gospels record Peter near a fire was on the night that he denied even knowing Jesus three times. Jesus had been arrested after praying with them on the Mount of Olives. And while Jesus was being tried by the high priest and some of Jerusalem's leaders, in a trial that took place in a courtyard outside the home of the high priest, John was there and Peter was there. John was known by the high priest and he was allowed to come into the courtyard and he goes back and he finds Peter and he brings Peter into the courtyard with him. Peter was nearby where Jesus was going through that trial and he was warming his hands over the fire with a handful of other people who were watching all of these proceedings. This was where Peter denied being one of Jesus' followers. Not once, not twice, but three times exactly as Jesus had warned him about. Campfires produce memorable smells. I told you that story of the campfire from the church that I grew up in because it, it brings memories. And when I think about a campfire, my mind goes back there. When I smell a fire, I, my mind instantly goes back to some of those wonderful memories. What's happening in that moment? The olfactory sense kicks in. The olfactory sense, our sense of smell, is powerfully tied to our memories. A new study this year in Progress in Neurobiology Journal reports that scientists have recently come to understand more about the profound relationship between memory and smells than ever before. Neuroscientists claim, uh, they, they claim a direct relationship between the olfactory system and the brain's hippocampus that is stronger than any other human sense. Here's the point of all of the, the neuroscience in that article. Smells can awaken nostalgic reminiscence unlike any other sense that we have. How fascinating that Jesus chose this moment to ask Peter if he really loved him. And he asks him three times. Many think that this matches the three times that Peter denied knowing Jesus. And I think that's exactly what Jesus was doing here. Much has been made about the two different words for love that John uses in his recording of this conversation. But I think all of that misses the main point of comparison and memory. The central focus is that Peter was dejected and knew that he had denied knowing Jesus three times. In fact, Luke 22, verse 61, tells us that at the exact moment that Peter denied knowing him the third time, Jesus looked directly at Peter and their eyes met. That's how close he was to where Jesus was going through that trial. So now on the beach, Jesus asked Peter three times, 
Do you love me? Do you love me more than these, all the rest? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter responds, yes, Lord, even adding in some different form, you know that I do. You know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. And each time Jesus tells him, Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus the one, was the one who often described himself as the good shepherd. And he called his followers his sheep. So Jesus was telling Peter that those who truly love Jesus care for his followers. Look, they look out for the rest. Those who love Jesus are involved and care for members of his church. And Peter spent the rest of his life leading others as a shepherd tends his sheep. In that moment, Peter resolved to follow Jesus in this very way. So here's the main idea that I want to get across this morning. People who love Jesus allow him to restore us when we falter and resolve to serve his kingdom whatever the cost. People who truly love Jesus allow him to restore us when we fail, when we falter, when we're filled with fear and resolve to serve his kingdom whatever the cost. So what do we do with this? I'd like to suggest some concluding steps or thoughts. There are some people hearing this message wherever you are in the room here today or, or watching online or maybe watching later in the day on Facebook Live. And you hear this message and it takes your mind not only back to Peter's faltering but to your own. And so there are some who need to be restored You're living in guilt. You're living around your sense of failure or faltering. And you need to be restored to the mission that Jesus has for you. Peter needed to be restored to serving Jesus with all his heart after denying him. His act of denying Jesus never took him outside of God's love and acceptance, but he needed to know that. Relationally, Jesus had been let down by Peter's denials. It took this breakfast and burning coals moment to restore that bond between them. There are some who are listening to this message who need to be restored to Jesus. I don't know why, but you've allowed the disappointments of life to pull you away from Jesus. Perhaps you've disowned him or rejected him in some way. There was an opportunity to stand up for him and, and you just held back. You feel that you love Jesus and you say that you love Jesus, but you know that something is in the way. When you really get honest, though, you're carrying a load of shame, and it's become debilitating. And I want to tell you that it's time to meet Jesus at the beach. If he can forgive Peter for denying him in such a public way, he can forgive you too. You may need to make amends with those you've hurt, but start by bringing that sense of shame and loss to Jesus and let him restore you. There are some people listening to this message today who need to be renewed. Perhaps you have only established a head knowledge of Jesus. You know the the basics and you believe the basics. He lived, he died, but this seems distant. It's time for you to acknowledge that Jesus died for you personally. And he wants you to move from mere acceptance to intimacy with God. When you confess that you need his mercy and then declare 
your personal faith that Jesus died to pay for your own sins and then he rose again to demonstrate his power over your sin and over death too. He will renew your inner spirit, power, and love, and grace. No matter how old, tired, hardened, or cynical you may have become, Jesus can renew and refresh your inner being, your very soul. Cry out to him in this moment. Declare your trust in him and ask him to make you new on the inside. And watch what happens as you're restored to fellowship with Jesus. And some need to be re-envisioned. Notice that Jesus was very specific with Peter. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Loving Jesus is not just a feeling. Loving Jesus is directly tied to the way that he treats his people. And what Jesus indicates here is not popular today. The trend today is to say, I love Jesus, it's his people I can't stand. I love Jesus, but I want nothing to do with the church. You're going to have a hard time loving Jesus if you're not willing to care for those that he loves. Imagine saying to a friend, I really love you, but I want nothing to do with your children or your family or your spouse. I can't stand them. You won't be friends for long if you do that. Jesus is amazing. He can refresh your vision and your love for the people of God. You may be frustrated with a branch of the church as an institution. And many go in this direction. But Jesus calls us to a different path. He calls us to dare to fall in love with those who are becoming a part of his fellowship. And Christians are called in every age to dare to renew their vision of what the church can become. Not to see the church as it is with all of our faults and failings, but to see the church that is on the way as a group of people who are being refined and reshaped and renewed in the image of Christ as a thing of beauty that will be unveiled only at the very end when it's all complete. And ask him today to give you a new perspective and a love for God's people everywhere. And he will begin to put people in your pathway where you can dole out the love that he gives to you to others. Here's what we're discovering together. People who love Jesus allow him to restore us when we falter and resolve to serve his kingdom, whatever the cost. I think this scene at the beach and the burning coals with Peter and Jesus is so significant because Peter went on to lead a life of faithfulness and one day died a very difficult death as he was persecuted in the way that Jesus was. Legend tells us in church history that when the time came, they wanted to hang him on a cross and he said, I don't deserve to die in the way that my Lord did. And so they hung him upside down and he died upside down on a cross not feeling that he should even have the honor to die in the manner that Jesus did. Faithful to the end, after being restored by the burning coals on the beach. God, I pray that uh, as people are listening to this from home, from someplace far away from another state, or even right here at North River with us, 
you know how this needs to be applied to each person. And I pray that you would hear the silent prayers that are being offered right now where some might be saying, Lord, restore me to that sense of mission that you once gave me. Renew me and refresh me on the inside. Pour in the oil and the wine that makes me new and bandage me up and heal the inside, the wounded part of myself as I begin to trust you. Lord, give us a new vision that is able to see not just obstacles before us, but possibilities that come. When we are in an alignment, in alignment with your will, with your plan, with your grace. And I pray that you will open up the doors for us to see whatever it is that you have for us next. That we will not approach these days with fear, but with great hope, knowing that even in the midst of the darkest moments around us, you are quietly at work doing great things. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, the very Jesus who tenderly restored his friend on the beach that day. Amen. Friends, thanks for being a part of this today. Thank you for your faithfulness during this entire time. Let's open up our eyes and look to see what God has for us because God is at work whenever times seem darkest and his hope shines more brightly in those moments. Thanks for worshiping with us today.